Hi, this is Jimmy Bice, and welcome to the Funny Science Fiction Podcast. The podcast that's the reason why Thanos snapped his fingers. As our guest today is author, blogger, and former Jeopardy contestant, Jimmy Bice. So heads up, Jimmy, now that we know that you've been on Jeopardy, our quiz at the end of the show won't be all that easy. But who knows? We've been wrong so many times before. Welcome to the show, Jimmy. <laughs> I'd like to point out, by the way, that I, I didn't win. So let's not make it too tough. <laughs> I, think I was a contestant, but I wasn't a winning contestant. So. Well, you, so, yeah. you passed the contestant quiz to make it on the show. So obviously you've got some brains. It was actually my stunning good looks. So therefore you're above us who are still <laughs> using Velcro for our shoes. So. Oh, I, I upgraded to elastic. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you guys have Velcro? I'm wearing we need to play the Weird Al song. I lost on Jeopardy. That was one of my favorites. Uh, I'm, uh, I, I will tell you a quick, but my friends, I have some friends who actually recorded the episode and made me a DVD. They actually edited it and made me a DVD. And for the little menu screen, they used the beginning loop from I lost on Jeopardy <laughs> for the beginning loop on that. And when I heard Great. it, I'm like, oh, thanks, guys. That's just awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. so nice. Yeah. <laughs> Your friends sound amazing, and I need to, know, I need to meet them. All right. <laughs> need more people like that in your life <laughs> exactly those are the greatest kind to have all right so jimmy one of the things i love to do with our creative guests is to talk with them about their influences what drives them what motivates them what got them to be where they're at so let's talk about it what are the things that influence little jimmy to grow up and to be the wonderfully creative writer that we have before us now um that's a hell of a question and I, I actually ex <laughs> no i actually expected it and thought about it and realized that i just I don't have a great answer. I, I know that other authors will come up with these just wonderful and everyone will go, oh, that's honestly, I like monsters and spaceships and 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 the, the, the shadows in the dark and elves and dwarves. And, you know, I read Tolkien and I read Sherlock Holmes and I watched Battlestar Galactica when I was 10 and I wanted to be a Viper pilot. And I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a writer or a baseball play-by-play -play announcer or a member of G.I. Joe. And I was really kind of crushed when I found out they weren't hiring. And then a little more crushed when I found out they weren't real. But <laughs> I just, I just kind of, I liked all that. I liked all that stuff. And my, and my folks kind of encouraged me to have an imagination and not just have, every kid has an imagination, but you can discourage kids from using their imaginations. And my folks, when I was young, they never really discouraged me from using my imagination. So I would write stories about rockets and I would, I would go out in the backyard and I would, you know, climb up in the swing set and it would be a spaceship or it would be an airplane or I would be on safari somewhere. I just like that stuff. And I don't have a particularly like, like brilliant reason for this. I just, I loved it. And then when it came to my writing, I love short stories. I've always loved short stories. I, I would rather read a short story collection than a novel. And I've kind of going back to reading like the little Sherlock Holmes stories, which were serials in a magazine. And I, I, I read all that stuff. So that's kind of what I write now. I write about, you know, creepy things and scary things and fun things and sometimes rocket ships. And, and I tend to write short stories. So I just right now what I really loved when I was a kid, and maybe if I'm lucky, if I'm super, super, super lucky, some other kid will find something I've written and he'll dig it and he'll go, well, that dude wrote 
stuff like that. And so I'll write stuff like that. That's kind of the only real hope here. Otherwise, I'm just writing stuff that I liked when I was seven. I'm okay with that. You know, you said that you don't have a good answer for that, but actually, I think that's a wonderful answer. That was a brilliant answer. Yeah, because you're you're talking about the things that that you liked as a kid, and, and and frankly, if those are things that can inspire you as you move forward, then I think personally, I think that's a win. Definitely, you know, be, because you've allowed your imagination to follow you through the rest of your life. You didn't kill it when you became an adult, and I think that's the fault of many people today is we kill our imaginations as we grow up, and we're like, oh well, we're adults now, we can't have fun. And so I love the fact that you've held on to that. Well, almost because in truth, I did. Uh, in truth, for a good 30 years or so, I did kill my imagination. I was you know, doing the practical guy, doing the practical, solid, stable job, and still professionally am. It was a very stable, boring, <laughs> been there forever kind of job that, uh, quite honestly, I don't like. But it pays my bills, so there I am. And that's uh, fine. But I, I got talked out of a lot of stuff by uh, being responsible and being an adult and growing up and being serious and having your mind on serious things. And maybe 10 years ago, maybe not even quite that often, I, 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 I looked at myself and decided that man, I missed all that other stuff. And I wondered, and I still, by the way, I still wonder today if... I have killed all some of that beyond hope of revival, but I really kind of pulled that stuff out and revived it and said, you know something, um, it's finally okay for me to be, I might say, in my 50s now and to love stories about elves and dwarves and rocket ships and, and, and people slinging swords and and it's kind of okay. The kind of thing that I would tell people is that there are a ton of influences on you to give all that stuff up. Mm-hmm. And you can still be a responsible, responsible adult. I'll put the big air quotes around. You can still be a responsible adult, right? And love all that stuff. You can do both. And if you have that love, do not under any circumstances give it up because it is not easy to come back and when it does it's not quite what it was you kind of have to make you have to make do with your choices so i did give it up for a while and i kind of feel now that i'm pedaling a little harder than i need to just to make up for lost time um but yeah it's just yeah if you got it keep it people are going to try to ask you to give it up but you don't have you just, you just don't. You can be a perfectly responsible, well put together adult who loves their family and friends and who is responsible and pays their bills and is good in the community. Um, and you can be a big giant goofball who loves rocket ships and runs around with a, a, a lightsaber. You can totally do that. And in fact, I personally argue you probably should. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, case in point, I just got this in the mail today, my brand new Thor hammer. So. Nice. <laughs> and I so, think too as, so as a young parent looking at the my daughter is two and a half we are hitting peak imagination play like this is it is like the prime imagination time and you do have that that outside force with the oh they shouldn't do that they shouldn't and it, no they should they're kids you should let them have that sam's club box and have it be in your living room for four days because it's a school bus right 
and then it's a rocket ship. And then I don't know what else it was today, but it's in the middle of my living room and she loves it. There you go. And I should be able to sit in that school bus with her and be excited and have that imagination. And that is so cool that you're like, no, do it. Go, go be a nerd. That's what we're supposed to do. And the best part of that is when you get into playing with your two and a half year old daughter and you say something and she turns around and goes, no, mommy, that's not how it works. Oh, I know. Like, Whoa, sorry. <laughs> I'm apparently play imagination wrong. <laughs> I realized I was violating the rules there. <laughs> so in one of your poems, the atomic monster, I'm presuming is inspired by a certain atomic lizard. Yes. Yes, a certain atomic lizard that I was concerned would be under copyright, so I didn't want to name, even though the rhymes are so easy. They are. They are. So my husband and I actually recently watched Godzilla King of Monsters because Godzilla versus Kong comes out soon. Yes. So which Godzilla movie is your favorite and why? There are so many options. Like, I didn't realize how many Godzilla movies there were. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't have a favorite one. I will say that the original the original godzilla movie um not the american remake with raymond burr Mm -hmm. but the original the original one um is absolutely terrifying it is not a fun happy godzilla movie it is terrifying it is a story of 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 an unstoppable force that just shows up wrecks tokyo and the a guy has to kill himself to end the threat. And, uh, spoiler alert, but you know it was a oh, yeah. so, okay. Let's everybody watch. It's been more than forty-eight hours. Spoilers don't work anymore. Right. Um, but I loved. Um, I loved the ones where you could get like, where 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 you'd get King Ghidorah and Mothra would show up, and <laughs> there there was I cannot remember which Godzilla movie is. I'm probably going to have to like turn on my geek card at least for a couple days. But there's one where um, Godzilla, they need Godzilla and Rodan and Mothra to team up against King Ghidorah. And Godzilla and Rodan don't want to. And so the movie literally grinds to a halt while they have this like UN style negotiation. And like the, the, the little Mothra girls are translating the whole thing. And Mothra is trying to get Godzilla and Rodan to work together. And they don't want to work together. And he's trying to negotiate the peace. And you're like, could we just do more monster stomping? I wanted, I will say this, the 2014 Godzilla movie, um, which I saw in the theater and I cheered like an eight-year-old boy, (laughs) the airport scene, when you get that long pan up Godzilla and you get to his head and he just, and that Godzilla roar just blasts out the speakers. And I cheered and clapped my hands like a little kid. (laughs) Um, But, it was such. Every time you thought you were going to get a good monster fight, they would go deal with the stupid human beings. Like I don't care about the stupid human right? beings. Or just <laughs> go away and let's have giant monster fights. I'm here for giant <laughs> monster fights. I wanted to watch people. Yes. I would watch a people movie. Right. I'd watch. You know something. I like Cloverfield. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, I I actually really really like Cloverfield and and one day one of my goals when I get the resources to do it is to make an audio drama like Cloverfield which is a ground level um alien monsters have invaded the earth and and the entire point of view is from um a person or maybe two people who are 
dealing with that. Um, so it's very Cloverfield level. And I, and, I, and I like that point of view if that's what you're telling me it is. If you're telling me, okay, there's a giant monster, but we're going to see it from, and I even think J.J. Abrams said, I wanted to do Godzilla, but from the point of view of the people in the city. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, I'll watch that. But then when you say, I'm going to give you a Godzilla movie, I'd better not watch Godzilla fighting a monster fight on a television cutaway scene. I'd better not, because I'm going to be a little irked. And that's, it's like, he's, he's, not, he's not the monster we deserve. Exactly. But he's the monster yeah. we have. Or something like that. And, the, like that. and the singing is always good in those, in those early Godzilla movies. That was always there are a couple theme songs, especially in the later Godzilla movies, where if you, if you get the English translations of the theme songs, they are just so like, Godzilla is here, stop being cowards, you humans, and clean up your rooms and be productive. Or Godzilla. And you're like, what? what did... is this, Godzilla is this just like tell Godzilla me to clean my room? In my room, Godzilla theme song by way of Monty Burns or something. What, what are you trying to sneak personal responsibility into my monster movie? I will not have this. <laughs> Godzilla now under contract by your mother. So, Jimmy, I wanted to ask you about your book. Uh, oh, One yeah. Hungry Werewolf and Other Monstrous Rhymes, available yes. on Amazon and at good bookstores everywhere, I'm sure. So now I noticed in there, I was uh, looking over some information about it, and you claim the word creepy durable which I loved. Uh, maybe you can tell us about what creepy durable means and how your book helps people feel better about their relationships with monsters. I like creepy stories. I like stories that make you look behind you. I like stories that make you wonder when you turn the last light off in your house. <laughs> I like, when I was a kid, um, um, even as a, a younger teenager, when I was a kid, my, I would not want to go to bed like most kids do when they're supposed to but I was always very sure that I needed to go to bed before my parents went to bed because when I was going to sleep the light would be on in the living room and I would hear the tv and I would kind of hear the murmuring of them talking but if I was still awake when they went to bed then all the lights in the house were off and I could hear all the nighttime noises of the house yeah. popping and settling or you know, cooling off and creaking and the noises outside, those are not good noises. They just aren't. You know, you, you, you think that's just a pop of, of, a, of a joist in the roof. It's not. It's, there's something in the attic. Right. There's always something in the attic. Going back to that imagination, right? <laughs> yeah, but there's always stuff like that. But, but I, one of the things I do dislike about a lot of scary stories and even scary stories written for kids is how they are unremittingly bleak. They are just, just absolutely just horrible, grinding, you feel just terrible afterwards. And I, I wanted to do, I, I wanted to do monsters that were creepy, but also beatable in a way. Monsters that were creepy, but you didn't have to be terrified of them. I think monster stories a lot, especially for, for kids, um, go back to things that like, that like Tolkien said about fairy stories. And I can't remember, I think like C.S. Lewis also wrote about stories is that kind of the purpose of a lot of these stories 
is not to show kids that monsters exist. Kids are very aware that monsters exist. Um, kids are more aware than we think that monsters exist. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of a lot of those stories mm -hmm. is to show kids that monsters can be beaten, that dragons can be beaten, that, that they're not helpless in the face of, like not every bad thing is existential gloom, that they have some way to fight back. So what I wanted to do was write, write poems about monsters that, okay, they can be creepy, but you can go back and read that poem and you know, there's a laundry ghost poem. And on one hand, you're like, oh, my laundry room is haunted with a ghost. Well, yes, that's very creepy, especially if your laundry room is in the basement and it's dark when you first go in there and a the light switch is on the other side of the room, <laughs> which by the way, is the proper construction of a laundry room. Right. Yeah. Um, laundry rooms should be creepy. That's just how they are. <laughs> but on the other hand, the, the laundry ghost's <laughs> biggest problem is that it's kind of dingy and it needs a little bleach and the bleach is up on the top shelf where it can't reach and also it's a ghost how would it get the bottle <laughs> that's funny so i want i want a lot of my poems uh, the giant atomic monster poem i want it to be a little ball oh, that's why i ended it the way i ended it that poem i won't spoiler it but there's there's a grown there's a there's a there's a grown-up joke in that um and i when i say grown-up i don't mean dirty i just mean like the best warner brothers cartoons there's a joke that the kids won't get that the adults will probably sure. i like monster stories especially yeah. for youngers to, to be to be creepy because i like scary. i like giving people that little shiver i like as my friends called it giving her a case of the wiggins <laughs> which i had nice. never heard before i think it's wonderful that's kind of what i want i kind of want you to read something i've written and kind of look back over your shoulder just to be sure i wasn't doing this i wasn't like pickman's modeling this whole story for you but on the other hand, I don't want you to put down the book and have your heart be heavy because that that doesn't do anybody any good. Not you, not me, not. Right. Ugh. Yeah, Ugh. absolutely. Yeah. All right. So we mentioned that you're obviously you're an author. We've talked about the, that you being a creative individual. We've talked about ways that you're creative. And we've been talking about your book, One Hungry Werewolf and Other Monstrous Rhymes. And as Drayton mentioned, now available on Amazon. Um, but what we'd like to do is, is tell us a little bit more about this book specifically. You know, what, what type of stories are, you know, I know that they're monster stories and we talked a little bit about how you, you framed it, but how did the book come about? What made you sit down and say, I want to write these type of monster stories? You, you mentioned it a little bit, how you were framing the stories, but what was it specifically that made you want to write this particular book? Um, question, is it okay if I go just a little bit long on this answer? Go ahead. Uh, sure. Okay. We have um, time. If you have time. I, I, I do. I do. I, there we go. The Here's first your thing is this, in my opinion, this book is at least a lesson to me about how you cannot know when an opportunity will arise as a creative person, um, that your opportunities, that, that your job as a creative person is to make stuff. And the more creative things that you do whether you're an artist a writer a podcast whatever you do the more things you write the more opportunities you will have for those things to kind of come together in odd and interesting ways and even come together with things that other people are doing so i was one wednesday night in a sarah werner create along room which she does every wednesdays and fridays and I was determined that I wanted to write something, but I didn't really know what I wanted to write. So I sat down, I grabbed my notebook, 
and I wrote the first stanza of One Hungry Werewolf, just right off the top of my head, goofing around. And I and I looked at it and went, well, that's kind of cool. Maybe I'll just go write a counting poem. I'm not a poet, by the way. Well, okay, now I guess I am. Now you are. My first, <laughs> my first book, I keep telling people, I'm not really a poet, yet my first book is poetry. Yeah, you can't um, say that is, anymore. Which, by <laughs> the way, is not something I would have ever predicted, which is another thing, is that you don't know where things are going to come from. I would never have predicted that my first book would be a children's art book about monsters that's poetry. So I wrote so I wrote this poem and I had it sit for a couple, three weeks. And a friend of mine, Cedar Sanderson, who is the artist in this book, excellent, had just written, um, she had just done a wonderful project for her younger sister. Um, and her younger sister is developmentally disabled and she's an adult. And they had a series of jokes growing up and one of the wonderful things he did was that her, her sister would kind of put her hands up and she would be a, a cute moose so cedar determined that for christmas she was going to do a poetry art book herself about a cute moose huh. and she was going to illustrate it she was going to publish it and she was going to have a hard copy in her sister's hands by christmas and she actually pulled it together in like six weeks great awesome um part of that she asked people she goes like look I, I i need help i need a bunch of poems about that with I, I need a bunch of words that rhyme with moose so people started throwing them out on her little facebook thread and i wrote this just little goofy poem about how you should drink puce moose juice but not chartreuse moose juice because that's gruce <laughs> um and just before the book went to print she 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 dropped me a message and she said, hey, remember that little poem you wrote? And I said, yeah. She goes, I really like it. I want to use it as a, the end piece to my book. And I did a little illustration and she hand wrote it out and did a little illustration. She goes, do you mind? I'm like, heck no. I, I, I'd be honored. I think it's really cool. Um, and then a little later in the conversation, she said, I'm going to be looking for another art project because she is primarily a writer and she's written a bunch of books and wonderful books by the way um if you like your if i i, I she's all uh, she writes she wrote science fiction she writes urban fantasy um she's a really good author and um our book is actually kind of under her her own little publishing house imprint which i absolutely love right and she said, I'm going to be looking for another art project because I like to do art. It helps me kind of stay sane. It's the kind of thing can do. And I said, well, if you're looking for inspiration, I wrote this poem a couple weeks ago and I don't really think I'm going to be doing anything with it. But if you want, I've got a little Google Doc and you can look at it and maybe you could just play with some art and use that as, as a prompt for some art. And she's like, oh, I'd love to. So I linked her to it. She looked at it. And like in the next 10 minutes, she hit me with like three art ideas. And I'm like, that's wonderful. I'm really glad that like, this is really sparking ideas from you. And then she said, hey, I want to do a book together. Nice. I'm like, a, a, a what? She's like, yeah, like this poem and my illustrations and we'll, we'll do a book together. Uh, sure. Sure. I guess if someone says, do you want to do a book together? I, I kind of, sure. Yeah. All right. And she said, do you have any more? And I went, well, back in October, I had written a bunch of little one stanza monster poems 
<coughs> excuse me, I had before that I had written every day of Halloween week, I had written a little short story that was like a monologue, a little first person monologue from a monster, and I called them the monster logs. Um, one day I'm actually going to get people to record them and like do voice acting for them and because I think they'd be fun. I remember but you talking wrote, about those. Yeah. The monster logs. And, and right after that, I did a bunch of little poems called Six Spooky Stanzas. And I just went, I went into like Canva and I found some art and I slapped them up there and I put them on this blog post. And I didn't, it was like the day after Halloween. And hardly anybody saw them because you know I have a I have a blog, but it's not super widely read, read or anything like that. It's fine. And I said, well, I have these. And she says, all right, well, let me see them. So I looked at them and she hit me with, they were like six of them. And she hit me with like three great art ideas. She's like, all right, we'll use those too. So next thing you know, there's the book. Um, we, the Bat family was, she, she showed me an illustration she was going to do for the legal thing. And I said, that's wonderful. We could do, I said, that almost makes me want to write. I said, I, I remember this. I said, that almost makes me want to write a poem about a family of bats. And she said, nope, you're going to write that. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> and that's kind of how it came together. It, it, it came together because I just had this little thought, I'm just going to write a poem and see what happens. So I wrote it and I tucked it away and then there's an opportunity. Nice. And, and that opportunity gets a little bit bigger and it was just, I didn't plan it. And this is going to be maybe unsatisfying to people who were like, you lucked into it. But I'm convinced that if whatever creative endeavor you're in um do as much creating as you can don't put the pressure on you like i gotta do it i gotta do it i gotta do it right but it's more don't listen to that voice in your head that goes nah no who cares no one will care no one will look i wrote a poem on a whim um that's not to say it's not a good poem because i'm actually really proud of it it's one of the better things i've ever written nice um and I worked really hard to make those rhymes rhyme. I, it's one of the better things I've ever done uh, after I, you know, I edited it and whatnot, but th there it was. Th and, and then like a month, a little over a month later, I'm holding an actual book with my name on it in my hands. It's got a <laughs> poem about werewolves. By the way, um, if you have the book, um, I have a favorite in, in the One Hungry Werewolf poem. I have a favorite werewolf on every page. Nice. Um, but my absolute favorite werewolf, if you are looking for the book, there is a page with a bunch of um, werewolves and the stanza involves a roadblock. And on and in that stanza is my absolute favorite werewolf of the whole thing. And if once you see the werewolf uh, and once you look at the page, you will know instantly which one it is and why. It is the happiest, maybe the happiest werewolf you will ever, ever see in an illustration of werewolves anywhere. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. I'll check that out. It's like, it's like, it's like the cycle, like, it's like Stephen King's cycle of the werewolf book, um, met Animal House. It's, it's the <laughs> happiest werewolf ever. That's funny. I love it. I love it. You know, but that's okay that you, that you feel that even if you feel that you lucked into it, or if other people feel that you lucked into it. Um, I find that most of the good things in our lives are things that would come up to us by happenstance. Yes. Um, you know, I, I always tell people that I lucked into marrying my wife. I convinced oh, her to do you that. You definitely so. got lucky with that one. You no? don't have to agree so quickly, Kathleen. I'm sorry. She's but my I favorite. Did. But she's awesome. <laughs> she's my many, favorite. Many, most men I know, um, married up, uh, whether they know it or not. Oh, I, 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 I know I, it. 
I frequently told my wife that I am convinced that she's not allowed to admit it because there's some, there's a, some, there was a, like a, a secret, uh, there's a code somewhere um, yes. to which she has to abide by that, that there was a point at which the single women in the world drew lots because somebody had to take me out. Like had, 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 someone <laughs> take, had to like, had to take one for the team. Me out, deal with me. Yeah. And I was like, oh man. And they had like a like a wake and a ceremony. She's like, no, it's not like that. I'm like, no, it's like that. Is it how I met your mother that they talk about every relationship having a reacher and a settler? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was the reacher, she was a settler. I, I always joke that I wore her down like erosion. So that's how I got her. <laughs> I, I just saw a great quote, a story about Winston Churchill's walking along the street with his wife, and she greets the street sweeper and they have a nice conversation and uh Sir Winston asked her, well, who is that? Well, he, he used to be in love with me uh, and, uh, you know, before I met you. She said, well, wow, if you hadn't met me, you might have been uh, married to the uh, a street sweeper instead of the prime minister. She said, no, if I hadn't married you, uh, that street sweeper would be prime minister. Oh, there it is. Nice. <laughs> I love that quote. That is a good quote. So on your Amazon profile, you also mentioned, and you've mentioned already in the podcast, that you enjoy a good fantastic story but yes. you've realized that there weren't as many new ones as you wanted. So what are some of your favorite fantastic stories that got you started in the genre? And what's your most recent favorite? I, I admit I am, I'm catching up. It's really weird. Um, I don't read as much new fiction as I probably should because mm -hmm. there's so much old fiction that I'm still reading. Um, I'm still... I love Richard Matheson and Ray Bradbury and Charles Beaumont and Jerome Bixby and Ursula Le Guin. Ursula Le Guin's short stories are mm -hmm. beautiful and, and they're brilliantly written, but they're just uh, Shirley Jackson's horror stories. Um, even her stories that she doesn't intend for them to be horror because she also wrote a lot of just kind of regular domestic life type stories that are almost like essays of her life or a family. She wrote some of those and some of those you're like, you're reading them and you can hear her voice and you're waiting for the weird, creepy thing to happen. Mm -hmm. um, because it's just, I, 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 I feel like I'm catching up. So I, I, I Bradbury has so many stories and I'm still reading through Ray Bradbury's stories. Um, his novel, Something Wicked This Way Comes, you think of him as a science fiction type author, but his novel, Something Wicked This Way Comes, is probably the best, the scariest story, novel I've ever read. Mm -hmm. okay. um, it is, um, I listened to an audiobook rendition of it and the, the scene with the hot air balloon going over the town at night. Um, I actually had to turn it off <laughs> because I couldn't, it was, it was keeping me awake. I couldn't sleep. It, it turned me out. It creeped me so bad that I had to go back and listen to it two days later during the day. Oh, that's awesome. Because that's how creepy it was. If you want short stories that are sharp, that like, they're like a little mean, which is also something I, I sometimes like to do with a story. Just a story then that just comes out and you don't expect it to come out and get you. And it just comes out and just, gah. um, Stephen King's early short story collections. 
love um, night shift and night shift and skeleton crew his early short stories when he was just a lean and hungry writer trying to make sales to buy his daughter medicine and he was writing everything he could write just to get it out there um there is a story of his called the raft that is just wonderful there is another one of his he did a little later called poppy that is a vampire story that comes out and that you don't expect to be a vampire story and it's really great it's really really oh, really cool. really okay. great um I'm still, I'm just, I'm still, I'm so catching up for people who have written so much yeah. good stuff before that I, I'll see like, like, uh, I don't, Mr. James's ghost stories that I keep coming back to over and over and over again, because they're really quiet and British. And I went into an old church and I found this thing and I decided to bring it home because it was a wonderful curiosity. And then next thing you know, he's being stalked by some horrible being from another dimension. And you're like, well, how did I get here? <laughs> like, but this story was wonderful and bucolic and, and romping through the British countryside. And next thing you know, there's a ghost in sleeping next to the dude. How did this happen to him? What, what? That's kind of, I, I, I'm kind of ashamed that I don't have more, more modern authors. I like Neil Gaiman. Um, mm -hmm. The thing I like most about Neil Gaiman is that I think Neil Gaiman is this generation's, right now, I think it's this generation's Ray Bradbury, um, in that he, his stories and the stuff he does, it's everywhere. It's it's superheroes, it's supernatural horror fiction, it's modern fairy tales. It, he recorded, he did his own kind of rendition and recorded an audiobook of Norse legends, Norse mythology. Okay. Which is, and he, and he reads it, and it's one of the best things I've come across in like five years. And it's, it's essentially his his own voice retelling Norse mythology. Uh, yeah. uh, I think the thing, the thing I admire about him is that when you pick up a Neil Gaiman book, you cannot be sure exactly what you're getting. Plus, you I would think he what. gets an he gets an A plus just for being able to pronounce all the Norse names. Oh, <laughs> and, and the fact that he does it with kind of the Neil Gaiman accent. Okay. And you're like, shit should that voice be doing Norse? And you, you wonder, like, I don't, the sound and the story don't quite match, but then partially through the first story, you can't imagine, you can't imagine that particular story being read by any other person in any other way. Okay. Um, and that's the other thing I like about Neil Gaiman is that a Neil Gaiman story is a Neil Gaiman story. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, when you read a Neil Gaiman story, and I admit that I do not, I do not like everything he writes. Um, I, I will pick up a short story collection and I may skip over some stories because I just, I, I, I don't like the particular, I don't know whether it is the genre or, or the, the, the tone of the story. I don't necessarily like it. I'll just go ahead and read the next one mm -hmm. and that's fine. But the thing I like about a Neil Gaiman story is that it's always going to be it's always going to be a Neil Gaiman story, and it's only going to be a Neil Gaiman story. No one else can tell a story the way Neil Gaiman can tell a story, and okay. I that I love that about him, and that is something that you cannot always say 
about even popular authors. Um, you could, Gaiman is Gaiman. And, and when you get a, when you have a Neil Gaiman story in your hand, you don't even have to have his name on it to know it's him. Yeah, definite style. Yeah, you yeah. know, I, I, I'm the same way. I, I really like older uh, works. In fact, one of my favorite authors when I was younger and, and even to this day is Edgar Allan Poe. And I still go back to his, mm. his stories mm. and poems because they're just- I love Edgar Allan Poe. So mm -hmm. amazing. And, and, and the wordplay is, is so wonderful. Uh, but I also wanted to ask you about your work in progress. Uh, uh, you hinted at a couple of things and I don't, I don't know, I just, you mentioned something about a reference work for monsters. Is that something that you're working on? Um, or maybe, maybe, or if you have some other work in progress that you you wanted to uh, tickle our, uh, our our listeners' appetite yes. for? Yes, um, I'm a little unlike other authors in that um, authors who write novels tend to have a work in progress that they're writing a thirty thousand word novel. I tend to write short stories. Right. Um, biggest reason, by the way, is that I have horrible, horrible. Um, problems with attention and focus um so i have had very very little luck sustaining a story over like three writing sessions so if i can't write it in two writing sessions i'm going to have super 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 big problems with it so um i found that writing short fiction flash length fiction i wrote you know i i could write two sometimes three stories a week um and i think they're they're good stories they're stories i really like and i'm proud of and i don't you know, feel discord. I'm starting to move a bit bigger, but um, right now the second book, the second poetry art book for kids, is actually in the works. Um, Cedar Sanderson is doing the art now. She's got some other things because she is like many of us creative people. She's a creative person who also has a full time job and family and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But she's working on it. Um, that one is going to be not as many poems, but the poems are going to be a little bit longer. It's three poems, but that one at least is tentatively titled Larry Was a Gargoyle. Um, <laughs> and it features the poem Larry Was a Gargoyle um, about Larry, who was a gargoyle. Um, I'm not a subtle writer, honestly. I don't, uh, I, I don't go I don't go in for the trickery. Um, if you get a, one of my poems called Larry Was a Gargoyle, you can be sure that it's going to be about Larry, who was a gargoyle. Um, but she is doing the Fair art for enough. that now, and I have seen, um, um, actually, the first two lines of the poem are, Larry was a gargoyle who wore a jaunty hat. So, <laughs> uh, and I have seen a picture of the jaunty hat, and it is indeed the jauntiest hat you have ever seen. So we have that to look forward to. Yeah, you know, my uh, my favorite bit of trivia is, you know, the, the where the name Gargoyle came from was the noise. They were downspouts. And so the, the name comes from the gurgling noises that they, they made. So that's where that comes from. And, and I if, like that. And I did not know if, that. If it, does, if it isn't a downspout, then it's actually a grotesque. It's not a gargoyle. So that was a little my little trivia for you. I did know that second part of the trivia. I didn't did know you? that was where the word came from, though. Now, one well, thing sorry. I wanted to mention, if you ever do... Uh, I don't know if this will help you uh, uh, in your writing stories. One thing that I think is sadly lacking in the world of monsters is like uh, definite instructions or some sort of uh, compendium of the ticklish spots on various monsters. I mean, where do you tickle a werewolf? Where do you tickle oh. a vampire? Where do you tick? You, where do you tick? You know, I mean, that's something people need to know this stuff. So if you, you know, 
I would I would say that the here. first part of this, Alan, the first part of the difficulty in tickling a werewolf is getting close enough to a werewolf to tickle it. Right. But um, if you're in, if you have the opportunity, you may as well take it. If you're thinking. in melee, you might as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're actually kicking around a Sneak third book right now, which is going to be aquatic poems and um, <clears throat> excuse me, mermaids, krakens. Um, a, somehow there's a cat. I don't know how that's going to work in there, but yeah. it's that's a, a specific request from an artist that Not a mermaid a fish, is a cat. But a cat. <laughs> an actual, no, 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 actual cat. Um, I actually have kind of a list of things that I want to do because I have recurring characters. Re characters and whatnot who recurred in my stories mm -hmm. so i will be doing i can't know i don't know exactly when but i've got a superhero team that i have been that i've written three stories about now called the trouble team um and they consist of exemplar gecko the great and b sharp um who is <laughs> gecko the great is it, it, Exemplar is kind of your 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 good-hearted uh, Superman type of guy, though not exactly. And Gecko the Great is a cross between Gecko and Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> um, and B Sharp is um, a young African American woman whose father is kind of wealthy, and they actually she's part of the team because they bought their vehicle from her. It's called the Trouble Truck, and it's an old VW bus. Um, and they bought it because Gecko the Great really wanted to be able to play um, Fog Hat from the speakers, and it had a bump in stereo. So, right. Um, and but but she she this. also has a, a problem that she she picked this really cool name of B Sharp because um, she 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 dresses in black and yellow like a bee, and she she's good with knives so she's got stingers but everybody <laughs> expects her to be musical based or her powers to be musical based or for her yeah. to sing a lot as opposed so, to be flat right <laughs> right so she she she's a little she 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 has to kind of overcome the fact that people expect her to be to, to be musical and not to do this um and then the the second group i have is an, an old guy named red who is a monster hunter kind of in the I was Appalachian backwoods, a little south, a little southeast, kind of that. And uh, his cat named Hosanna. And Hosanna is a specially trained cat who, uh, when we first <laughs> meet Hosanna, um, knows Tai Chi. Oh, um, and of yeah, Hosanna is a specially a, a cat who's specially trained to hunt out um, horrible creatures in the night and to uh, to slay them. My cats um, are slackers. Hosanna, yeah. Hosanna knows Tai in, in, in the initial story. Um, Called, I actually saw my website called The Cat Who Danced. Um, Hosanna is um, Hosanna is doing Tai Chi out on the uh, out on a uh, fence post. <laughs> I can say that's a great great image. It's uh, it's actually um, yeah. It's I'm gonna I need to I need to I want to confirm something real quick. You know, in my mind, this whole time, all I keep hearing is is uh, Shaggy talking to B Sharp and like, like Yoink Sharp. <laughs> Zoink. He's he's Zoink. he's he's kind of like Shaggy, and he's kind of tall and thin and really kind of hippie-ish, and he says things like "dude" a lot. And, um, <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's 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 <laughs> it's. Yeah, what can I say? It's I, I I came up with the name Gecko the Great. 
and I thought that Gecko the Great would be a great name for a superhero. And then I tried to imagine the person who would least embody <laughs> Gecko the Great. And I thought it was this tall, lanky, hippie type. And then once I had him, I realized that their vehicle, the trouble truck, was going to be a VW microbus. Um, if you, you guys, I don't want to necessarily put you on a spot, so no is a perfectly appropriate answer, but do you mind if I read The Cat Who Danced? Not at all. It's not a very long yeah. story. Do you mind? Go ahead. Okay. Hey, Red, is that your cat on the fence post? Yep, Red said. Probably so. He didn't even look up from the disassembled pistol he was cleaning on his kitchen table. He held his head low, the tip of his beard tantalizingly close to the oiled metal. Royce stood next to the sink and looked out the window, a glass of Red's best whiskey in his hand. He took a long sip and watched as, a hundred or so feet away, a cat stood on its hind legs on a fence post. The bright full moon sat behind it on the horizon and obscured any detail. All Royce could see was its lean and furry silhouette up on its hind legs. That alone would have been odd enough, but the cat was not standing still. It appeared to be dancing. Hey, Red, let me try that question another way, Royce said as he drained the glass and set it on the counter. Is that your cat dancing on the fence post? Red looked up this time and squinted out the window where the cat had spun itself gracefully on one paw, its ears alert, its tail low and relaxed. I don't reckon she's dancing. I reckon she's doing Tai Chi. <laughs> Royce was momentarily dumbfounded. Your cat knows Tai Chi? Yep, knows it pretty well, too. Got herself a black belt. Ain't you ever noticed her collar? <laughs> Royce leafed to his memories. As it happens, I did notice that fancy collar. Even asked you about it on account of how fancy it is. I don't recall you ever answered. And I didn't answer you because you didn't need to know. Still don't really, but I might as well tell you since you're going to hunt that slash dog thing with us. That cat's special. Maybe only three or four in the whole world now. She's bred to find and hunt evil things like what killed Clem Fastman last week and what's been stalking the old meadow since then. But Tai Chi? Roy shook his head. That's a lot to believe, friend. I'll buy an evil things in a slash dog, but that? He gestured out the window. The cat lashed out quickly with both forepaws. Its claws caught the silver moonlight and flashed like the scythe of death itself. <laughs> Red finished assembling the gun and shrugged again. Believe it or don't, you old coot. Fact is, Hosanna came right from a holy place. I can't tell you where, but you'd know it if you heard. She's been trained as much as you can train a cat. And art so deadly, I ain't even heard much of half of them. Some of them you can't even learn because you ain't a cat. You know she's different. Tonight, I expect she'll show you just how different. Now stop, John, and get that alley cannon. Roy shook his head and picked up the shotgun. The silver inlaid cross of the stock gleamed under the incandescent light of Red's kitchen. You ready? Red stuck the pistol, known only as Red's gun, into his special-made shoulder holster. Roy shrugged. Guess I am. Prayer's all said. Got holy water in the Chevy? Yep, Red said, and reached past Roy's to tap the window. Outside, Hosanna the cat lowered herself to four paws, leaped down from the fence post, and looked toward them as she ran to the battered blue Chevy pickup truck. Royce would have sworn the cat was smiling. All right, Jimmy, we have gotten to the point of our show where now we need to throw some questions at you. We oh, mentioned good. earlier that you were a Jeopardy contestant. <coughs> um, 
even if you weren't a Jeopardy winner, you still got on the show, which means you're probably smarter than the other three of us uh, on this screen. So we have what we call uh, the quiz of randomness. So in this quiz of randomness, uh, there'll be five questions. Each question will be presented to you with multiple choice answers. Okay, so we're, we're making it a little easier on you. Good. Unless we get, unless we think you're getting close to winning and you just, you know, you blow through the first couple, then we're going to make you answer on your own. But uh, so out of the five questions, if you get three of them correct, we want to send you one of these handy dandy I gave to the red shirt widows and orphans coffee mugs. Okay. And, and as Drayton showed, it even has our really super cool logo on the background. If you get four out of five questions, right, we're going to send you that mug along with Drayton's book, Custodians of the Cosmos. So. Ooh. And I want to interject something. Since you like short stories, I'm going to throw in my uh, Assemble of Nuts, which oh, is my goodness, which is the beer fiction series of uh, uh, stout tales about a man who uh, finds a miraculous beer, and uh, it's kind of a hysterical fiction. So I have pretty... looked for miraculous beer in the past and have not yeah. found it. Yeah, well, it's in this book, so. So those are pretty entertaining, and if, uh, so yeah, so if you get four out of five, we'll make sure that uh, that Drayton sends those to you, and we'll have them, uh, you know, vandalize them with a little bit of calligraphy, uh, even, okay? But yes. now, however, so if those are the good consequences, if you get two out of five, there has to be what we like to call a fun sequence, and what that is, is we take a picture of your face, we make a meme out of you, and we share it with our group. Do you agree to those terms? I do. All right. Well, very good. We are underway here. Then, Drayton, go ahead and fire off. A Question question. numero uno. In what state does Stranger Things take place? This is multiple choice. So is it A, Indiana, B, Ohio, or C, Michigan? Is it Indiana? Correct. Very good. Hawkins, Ooh. Indiana. Yes, number one. Exact. I can remember hey. the city. I'm like, Hawkins, crap. Where? <laughs> it's not Ohio because Ohio is not cool enough for that. Right. And there you go. And we live in Michigan. So, you know. <laughs> Question two. In the show, Hannah Montana, this actor slash singer plays the role of the father. Is it A, Garth Brooks, B, John Bon Jovi, or C, Billy Ray Cyrus? C, Billy Ray Cyrus. It is. Scoot your boots. Yeah. <laughs> All right. There's two out of three. All right, now to history. What is the oldest inhabited city in the world? Is it A, Jerusalem, B, Damascus, or C, Baghdad? C, Baghdad. Ooh, it was Damascus. Damascus. Ah, yes, I mean, those are all tough ones. That was a tough one. I wouldn't have got that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Question four. Which American comedy series has won a record 37 Emmy Awards. Is it Seinfeld, The Simpsons, or Frasier? 37 Emmys, you say? I'm listening for your answer. I'm going to say The Simpsons. Wrong. It's Was Frasier. It it's Is Frasier. It really? Yeah. I'm trying to give yeah. you a little really? help here, Jimmy. Yeah. I would have never guessed that. I didn't, really? I didn't. I was actually very surprised by that one myself when I was doing the research. For it. I was like, really? 37? No kidding. Okay. Wow. I, I like Frasier. I thought it was a great show. I didn't realize that they had won that many. I didn't know it was that great of a show. 
right? That, well, that's me too. This is okay, but yeah, yeah. Well, well I think they want to. I think they want a lot for uh, writing scores. It wasn't just for the actors and, and things along those lines. So. Yeah, and see, I thought the Simpsons, if nothing else, would have won for some technical stuff since they've been around since you know approximately 1957. Right, since the beginning of time. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe what the shows it was up against too, you know. All right. So so far you've gotten uh, two, two out of four. So here's your chance to avoid meme land. I know. All right, and I got to make sure I pronounce this correctly. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Sinophobia. Sure, sounds good to me. That's good. I n o phobia is the fear of a dogs, b the color blue, or c gerbils. C-Y-N-O, yes? Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm going to say gerbils. And I'm going to say, please smile pretty for the camera. <laughs> <laughs> so close, so close. So close. Was uh, it blue? No, it's actually oh, dogs. dogs. I didn't know that. Really? Yeah, That's yeah. interesting. I was uh, the prefix would not have uh, had led me to dogs, right? I, yeah, I would think canine or something, but that well, or, or something, or the Latin because a lot of this comes from Latin roots, right. the Latin root for dog. Huh. Yeah, I, I honestly, when I saw it, I thought it was uh, going to be the oh, blue, the cyan. It's Greek. Yeah. Oh, yeah, comes and, from green. and I went it, away from and I went away from blue because blue is cyan. That's right, why I wanted right. to pick the fact the spelling. No, so right. I just I just looked it up because I'm like, wait, what is the the root word there? Yeah, it's Greek. So Which I knew, but I, one, so the the, the, the bigger problem. the biggest question here is, did I get my research right? It is dogs, right? It is dogs. Yeah. Yay! All right. So okay, okay. I didn't. Well. All right. Well, I, I snapped some pictures of you, so we'll we'll yeah. share those. And I'm going to still send you my my books because I I think you'd really enjoy them. Alan, that is very sweet of you. Thank you. Well, sure. All right. So Happy yeah. So so our game results. The official game results is that uh, Jimmy is our newest resident of Meme Land. You'll be you're in good company though. Uh, one of our other meme recipients is Dan Povenmire, the co-creator of Phineas and Ferb. Oh, so, I love him. Yeah, He's Dan's Dan was an awesome interview as well. Uh, and we have uh, Frank Duran from the Warp Shelf podcast. Um, another uh, awesome, yeah, another great guy, a great, great geek podcast. If you want to listen to some cool geek talk, uh, go check out uh, the Warp Shelf. But uh, so those those two guys, and I think we have a third one. We, well, that wasn't Sarah. Sarah Sarah got him. Got him. Oh yeah, she 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 schooled us. So, but uh, yeah, so uh, so you're in good company. That's that's a good place to be. But, Me and Dan uh, Povenmire, I'll take it. There you oh, go. Exclusive, exclusive club there. <laughs> it's, very... rare, it's rarefied air, Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy, I, thank I'll... you so much. Thank Thanks you so for much having me. This has been a show. blast. Now, uh, make sure, tell everybody where they can go to find out about your books and all your work and everything you're up to that you want them to support. The easiest, uh, two places that you, that are the easiest to get it. My website is Jimmy with an IE, jimmywrites.com is my website. Okay. Um, I also have a mailing. I also do a newsletter every week. Great. Um, it's a weekly newsletter. It's called Thursday. Um, 
actually it's called thursday because it has an exclamation point thursday thursday and it comes out on wednesday Mm. every week um (laughs) because um wednesday is not as cool a name for a newsletter as thursday it's really not but thursday is not as good a day to put out a newsletter as wednesday so i decided to opt for the two best choices and do a newsletter on wednesday called thursday I love it. And you can get through that through Tiny Letter, which is tinyletter.com slash Jimmy Writes, like my website. And um, like I said, once a week, there are some links to my stories. And I, I write a little essay often about creativity. And there's some arts and letters because I like to attempt to be smart. Um, you know, it's, there's, a little, there's a little culture, as they say. Excellent. We will make sure that we put those in the description so that people can find them and your other Thank works. You. Thank you. Now, yeah, we also want to remind people that subscribing is the single most important thing you can do to ensure that we get more amazing guests like the wonderful Jimmy Vice here and that you have funny moments to listen to. So please subscribe. It's going to help more than you ever think it will. And be sure to check out Jimmy, his works, his books, and go to jimmywrites.com to find out a little bit more about him as well. And also, if you're not happy with the content of today's video, all you have to do is submit in duplicate, of course, to our head complaint specialist who's named Emperor Palpatine. But he does prefer to talk person to person, uh, usually at an opera. And don't worry if he brings up other former complaint submissions and how they didn't know the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise. Uh, But whatever he suggests, I'm sure his solution will be electrifying, as always. Thanks again, Jimmy. Goodbye, everyone, and thanks for watching. Thanks, Jimmy. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. Just imagine the comfort you'll give Red Shirt crewman number 24. He'll know that when he puts on the red shirt and is dragged below the sea by the Kraken 15 minutes into the mission, that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope because the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund has his back and his life preserver. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of Funny Science Fiction, we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on one of our future episodes, please contact us by means of our Facebook group, Funny Science Fiction. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram using the handle at funny sci-fi, or you can go to draytonallen.com and click the contact me link at the bottom of the page. Thanks again. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Copyright 2020 by Drayton Allen. Original music by Jordan Michaels. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned in this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation of or by funny science fiction or its sponsors. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at DraytonAllen at DraytonAllen.com.